I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Or fear is the great barrier to human growth. Unknowns create fears. When these unknowns become known, the fear diminishes and disappears. Since mankind's beginning, and in every civilization, human beings have found ways to alter their consciousness in search of something greater than everyday reality. To this end, we have indulged in and experimented with all manner of frightening, toxic, and even potentially lethal substances in many different rituals. Yet, in the 1950s, a new gateway was discovered. Robert Monroe, a successful and distinguished business executive, dedicated family man, and noted pioneer in the investigation of human consciousness, produced evidence that specific sound patterns have identifiable beneficial effects on our capabilities. For example, certain combinations of frequencies enhance alertness, induce sleep, and evoke expanded states of consciousness. It was through this research and his out-of-body experiences, the term of which he popularized in his best-selling 1971 book, Journeys Out of Body, that led to the development of Hemisync, a patented process utilizing audio patterns containing binaural beats, which synchronizes the two hemispheres of the brain, thereby creating a frequency-following response designed to evoke relaxation and sleep induction, learning and memory aids, and altered states of consciousness. Monroe later founded the Monroe Institute, a worldwide organization dedicated to expanding human potential. I am more than my physical body indeed. Hello and good morning. I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. Today, our series on Supernormal July comes to an end. As always, you can find us online at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. Today is the 28th day of July 2015, and this is our 195th broadcast. Will is away this week as he has begun our month-long vacation early. Don't fret, though. We'll have some audio surprises for you all through August, so stay in touch. And then in the fall, our big news is that the show will be moving to Mondays. Must be the moon. But today we're going beyond the moon on an ultimate journey with the executive director and president of the Monroe Institute, Nancy H. McGonigal. Prior to her role as the executive director and president at the Monroe Institute, Nancy Scooter McGonigal provided astrological services out of the Astrological Services Division of the Intuitive Intelligence Applications a company she co-owns and operates with her husband of remote viewing fame, Joseph McGonagall. In her early career days, Nancy helped Bob Monroe to pioneer and create the Monroe Institute for Consciousness, Research, and Education. She later served as its director from 1983 to 1991. In addition to her international astrological practice, Nancy has been a freelance writer, for Ivanhoe Broadcast News out of Winter Haven, Florida, and has written a number of articles for the Sydney Omar Astrological Annual Guidebooks. Her focus now as the Executive Director and President of TMI is to continue both personally and professionally to focus on exploring, understanding, and expanding greater levels of personal development that in turn can lead us toward a greater growing awareness, realization, and utilization of our untapped talents and skills. More information about Monroe Institute can be found at monroeinstitute.org. It's really an honor to be hosting her today. Welcome, Nancy. How are you doing? 
Well, thank you, Doug. It's an honor to be on your show, and everything's fine here in Virginia. It's a typical hot and muggy day, and I'm looking out at some puffball, cotton ball clouds and anticipating some lovely storms later on. <laughs> so things are good here. In fact, you know, Doug, I don't even know where you are physically located. Physically, I am in Boise, Idaho. Ah, so. And we've been a having... A couple miles away. Fall weather in July, which is strange. I'm jealous. I I do so love fall weather. Well, you have to come here to to the Institute at some point. We're in the the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. It's absolutely gorgeous. We call it God's country here, with good reason. Okay. Well, I conceived of this idea of supernormal July because there's this space between fiction and reality that there are those out there who say the human has the potential of uh, moving beyond. And it's so interesting because I was kind of led in this direction when I first learned of Robert Monroe. Hmm. And I'm new to all this, and and so that's one of the reasons why I went down this path and was put in touch with you. Could you tell us how you came to be at the center of all this and and (laughs) who is robert monroe who is this man (laughs) who is this guy and how is it that he he did these super normal things well i would be very happy to um bob monroe uh was my first my friend uh, then my mentor then my stepfather and my boss and so I i was kind of brought up with all this stuff ever since I was about 14 years old when I first learned about um, out-of-body experiences. Actually, it was probably before that because my mother was very much interested in all this stuff. So um, I've had the the great um, opportunity to grow up with uh, thinking that out-of-body experiences are normal, that um, all manner of what most people would call paranormal uh, events and so forth are normal, whether it's healing or uh, psychic activity, um, uh, remote viewing, and so forth. So uh, that's how I happen to be involved with all this from the early days. I helped Bob start the Institute um, as soon as I got out of college. I was answering his fan mail for Journeys Out of the Body. Again, that is the classic, uh, and still is the classic, in talking about out-of-body experiences, and how that came about was uh, Bob was a um, a businessman. He was a radio guy in New York back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, and in 1958, um, he got very interested in sleep learning, And, and so one night he was lying there in bed thinking about how fun it was going to be to go gliding the next day and thinking about other such such things and all of a sudden he found himself bumping up against something and he thought this is strange i didn't know i'd fallen out of bed and he realized what he was bumping up against was the ceiling and so at that realization he turned around looked down and there in bed next to his wife was a gentleman and all of a sudden he realized that the man was himself so he thought he had died Oh, I've got to get back in my body. And at the thought of getting back in his body, bam, there he was. And that was the first experience. And, of course, it scared him to death. He thought he was either going crazy or he was about ready to die and so forth. Mm. 
Journeys Out of the Body became all the notes, the journal notes he took of all his various experiences in the out-of-body state. And then he wrote two more books following that about his various experiences. Meanwhile, as he was looking at the effects looking at the effects of sound on consciousness and the sleep learning, and he thought, well, I wonder if I can recreate this out-of-body state. And so after people started reading his books and getting interested in all this, they knew he had the sound process. He was trying it out on all of us or a bunch of us guinea pigs. The sound became later known as hemisync, short for hemispheric synchronization. And um, what he found was he was able to cause a frequency-following response in the brain, which means basically if you can get the brain waves to start um, uh, activating, if you will, at about four cycles a minute or three cycles, I mean a second, sorry, or three cycles a second, that corresponds to deep sleep. And so he was using sound, one sound in one ear, let's say 100 hertz, and 103 hertz in the other ear, and then the brain acts like a mixer, and it produces this third tone, this three hertz differential. And so it's kind of an entrainment effect. You start learning how to get into these different effects with the use of sound. And out of that came a program, and Esalen, you remember Esalen Institute? They're still operating, as a matter of fact. And we're going to talk about Esalen when we come back from our vacation in September. So it's all... It's oh, all, wonderful. Yes. Well, they had, that's where he had his very first program. And it, again, it was so successful. There was a clamoring for more. And then we started giving other programs. And uh, he called it the M as in Monroe, M5000. He had hoped to train 5,000 people in learning how to focus their consciousness in various expanded states. Everything from being alert to being deeply relaxed where your mind is awake, your body is asleep, and then into far, far greater expanded states of awareness where you get beyond even the notion of physical matter reality. And those, all those uh, many sessions and the training programs and whatnot became today what is known as the Gateway Voyage Program. That's our initial program. And then we have 17, 18 others now at this point to help people uh, get into these various states. It helps improve their lives, their understanding of themselves, the nature of reality. I could go on and on, but um, we can get back to that later. So here's Bob. All of a sudden, he went from being the vice president of RKO in New York to coming south, and he uh, put in the first television cable station in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is near us here, um, as well as across the mountain in Waynesboro, Virginia, still remaining the very viable businessman. He did not ever want to be a guru, even though he was doing this kind of strange thing and learning incredible, quote-unquote, truths about the universe, but he wouldn't have put it that way. He also did not put it in a religious sense, nor did he feel that it was spiritual because that wasn't his way. He was more of an engineering type of man, you know, brain, uh, very scientifically oriented. And so though he realized he had this system which could people find, uh, help people find out so much about themselves and the nature of reality, he tried to keep it in a sense that would be pragmatic and bring something of value to culture as opposed to turning it into yet another 
um, a spiritual discipline or another religion or anything like that. So we have a program which it doesn't matter what religion, what beliefs, what race, what gender, anything uh, a person is. It applies to all, and we embrace everything, but you know we don't turn away uh, any particular uh, belief of any kind. Um, you use it to, to use our system to go find out what's true for you, hmm. to go explore the universe on your own terms. As Bob used to like to say, go find out for yourself. Well, something that I found out for myself was in in his early, well, um, I looked at Far Journeys. That was the, the, the book that I dipped into in preparing mm-hmm, for this. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing is if he didn't, if there was no real-world application, the idea of that as science fiction would be interesting in itself because <laughs> because of his the, the language, his engineering terminology. He, there was just real specific – it has this almost NASA-like quality. The, the exploration side of it is really fascinating. But this little nugget that I found was – that the world or the universe of his exploration was sterile until 1974. Mm-hmm. Have you ever considered that? Because it, it's interesting to our listeners in in one arena that 1974 was this kind of gold star year that uh, consciousness opened up for Robert Anton Wilson and Philip K. Dick. So I wonder, it's interesting, we had to look back at 1974 and see what might have been going on um, worldwide, event-wide, and planetarily, of course, as an astrologer, and going, ooh, let's see what the big, big action was back then, huh? Mm -hmm. But in in Far Journeys, he says that it was in 1974 that the the arena of his travels really opened up and things became interesting. You know why? You see, he, as he used to like to say, how many times can you go from here to California without getting bored? <laughs> so when he started going into what he called other locales, um, he started finding out all manner of interesting things. And you're right, it, it can read like a science fiction tale, can it? Mm-hmm. Um, and what he would do then is he'd come back here, meaning to physical matter reality, which he used to like to call PMR. He loved acronyms so much. So we'd come back to PMR and to what he called uh, C1 consciousness, one state. What Bob did, by the way, was he, he labeled these different states of consciousness with numbers. He called them different focus states. So um, you had C1 and then focus 10, the state of uh, deep relaxation, and um, yet your mind's still very awake and alert. Focus 12, the state of expanded awareness. Focus 15, state of no time. Uh, focus 21, which is, which is a state where you start getting to the point where you're, you're bordering between this system, physical matter, and the non-physical um, other energy systems. Focus 27, where people, after they have left physical matter reality, i.e. those who have gone on, who have died, uh, where that type of gathering takes place. And so Bob found all these very rich layers of existence, if you will, of consciousness beyond just what we do see, hear, smell, you know, how we perceive our physical world. So yeah, it became very rich. And again, he tried to take that information 
and then turn it into programs so that other people could have their experiences of these other levels. But then I think it's also his scientific background that prompted him to study it in a scientific way. Could you talk about like the early lab? I mean, so I kind of got into this world by listening to a gentleman by the name of Tom Campbell talk. I think he was one of the... Yeah, Tom's due here next week, matter of fact. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be doing his My Big Co program, right. He helped out in the early days. He and Dennis Menarek were with Bob quite a bit. And Tom, as a physicist, uh, Dennis was an electrical engineer. And they all, and, and actually at that same time, we were all what Dad called explorers. And so the early lab, we went into the booths, and the booths were just like little little closets almost with a water bed. We had a microphone. We were hooked up to GSR, had a headset. And then Bob would feed through the various types of audio um, technologies to to see how we responded to those at different levels. And so Tom, who um, was, again, the physicist mind, and Bob with his engineering type mind, Dennis with his electrical engineering type mind, was really great because it was then, okay, how can we make this work here now? And the lab itself had a control room where Bob had the various sound machines set up and reel-to-reel tape recorder and uh, where he would record our responses. And then again, the people in the booth would be speaking back what their experiences were. From going out into these other states of consciousness, then uh, information was brought back, and that's how some of the exercises in the programs were actually made, uh, ideas for them, how they were created. Does that answer your question, Doug? It does. I, I, trying to vi- visualize the lab, it was a little. Bob was also, you know, he was he's brilliant. He was an invent inventor type, always ten years ahead of his time. But he had bought a modular home building company. He called it Process Builders, and so the lab was this modular home, and he kind of revised it, renovated it so that it had these labs. We had some offices. We had a little kitchenette, the control room, again, all audio. And the control room is also where he did the recording of his tapes. So if you listen to his old, old recordings, sometimes you can even hear his chair squeak in the background. It's kind of cute. Has there ever been a film about him? I mean, this... There are various, yeah, there are various YouTubes in terms of a film like feature length or documentary. Um, not really. Uh, there have been little shorts here and there, and little news stories. But in terms of a nice documentary, no. We have been approached um, several times over the years by various film companies, and uh, nothing has happened quite yet. Although I do anticipate that happening. I can, in fact, I, every time I look at Anthony Hopkins, I think of Bob Monroe. I want, oh, gosh, he'd make a great Bob. <laughs> <laughs> the, the good one, not the Hannibal Lecter, by the way. <laughs> More like uh, in uh, The Mask of Zorro. But uh, in any event, no, there's no, not a film like that yet. But um, uh, certainly there are lots of YouTubes where Bob himself is talking. So if you just go to the Monroe Institute YouTube area, um, people can see Bob at work there. And so then what is the evolution from this modular home lab to 
what is to now. where we are now. Yeah. <laughs> How many years does it take that? To well, happen? it's funny. So the lab was this building. It was on this property that Bob and my uh, my mother owned called Whistlefield. So we were first called Whistlefield Research Labs. Then he changed it to the Monroe Institute of Applied Sciences, and he decided it was time to expand. We had to expand. He wanted to actually have a school, not just this one building where he was recording the exercises and, and doing the explorer work. So he and my mom went around, were looking at various properties here in central Virginia, and they found one property they really liked, but then they found out about this other one. Uh, which is where we are now, and it was 800 acres. And so uh, they would talk about, well, let's go out to the land today. Let's go see it. And and mom would say, well, which one do you mean, the old old land, meaning the the first piece, or the new land? And so what happened is this area now, this 800 acres, 320 of which now belong to the institute because the family sold it to the institute, and we sold it to the institute. But he made um, a neighborhood out of it, and it's called the new land. Well, as you might imagine, all these people, because they see Bob and his his vision of the future and all these marvelous um, talents he had, the new land, like the new way of being. Well, no, it's only because it was not the old piece of land. So it always amuses <laughs> me that there's this assumption of, of uh, grandiosity. But in, in any event, so they found the land, and then um, he ended up building uh, – the offices, which he they lived over, by the way, they lived on top the second floor up. They, my mom, and dad lived there, and the offices were on the first floor. And then they built the center, and in the center is where people come from all over the world to have their own in their rooms. Each has a check unit. Here we go again with the acronyms. Check is for controlled holistic environmental chamber. And this is the nice, isolated, quiet, warm, cozy space where each participant gets to listen to the exercises and go out and have their amazing experiences in these altered states of consciousness, you see. So he had that, and then the building I'm in right here is the administrative offices, and then what I call the West Wing, because quite literally it's west, it's right to the west of us here, is the lab. And in the lab, um, again, a similar setup, though we have one booth, and in that booth we have what we call prep sessions. And that, again, another acronym, Personal Resource Exploration Program. Uh. And, and so people go in there. There's another person, usually a trainer, uh, who leads them into these various states, and then they have their experiences. And there are also a few offices around there. So here we have this um, wonderful setup. And then after Mom and Bob died, up on the mountain from here, just about a mile up the road, um, on our property here, we have the Roberts Mountain Retreat. Now what's interesting, this Roberts Mountain was called Roberts Mountain before Bob Monroe ever bought it. That's just the name of the property. And so up there, we have another retreat center. So we can be having two programs at the same time. Um, up there at the retreat center where Bob's log cabin is, it, uh, Mother and Bob's house is, uh, again, where lot, many portions of the program take place. And then my stepsister, Lori Monroe, who ran the institute for about 11 years after Bob died, um, got that built, and so we can have 20 participants taking the program there. 
and it's all gorgeous. I wish I could show you a picture right this second of the mountains in the valley here, the huge crystals, and it is truly a divine place to be. So it's interesting, you, you mentioned the idea of uh, new land and then Roberts Mountain, we would you know call those synchronicities. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Was synchronicity a part of, of his life? That's a very good question. I would have to say I'm sure it was. Um, um, of course it was. And uh, then you're going to say, well, what, give me some examples. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go, ooh, I have to think about that. What about in your own life? Oh, oh my goodness. I think, you know, synchronicities abound. And um, it's kind of like we are talking now um, about Tom Campbell and Dennis and the old days, and I haven't seen Tom in a number of years. He will be here next week bringing, he's going to be doing his My Big Toe program. And it just so happens Dennis will be here this week. He's coming in to see a participant who happens to be here for a program. And so I just, it makes me smile, the timing of all of this, you see. Um, So, and then my being back here, which is also kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. I was the director from 1983 to 1991. And then I left, and uh, my husband Joe and I, and Joe happens to be the number one remote viewer in the world, quite frankly. <laughs> well, that seems like a synchronicity to me. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, how about that? How well, does that funny. all come together? It seems like. <laughs> yeah, how did that happen? Right. Oh, gosh. Well, um, I came back here in 1983 to be the director, and. Um, Joe came in to ha- to take the Gateway program. Well, at that point, there were no trainers, so I had to both be a trainer and start training trainers as well as be the director, and I was Joe's trainer in the Gateway program. So that's how that happened. And you'll love this, Doug. It's cute because after I'd agreed to come back to be the director, I had been gone. I had been in publishing for about four and a half years, and I was asked, Bob and a gentleman, um, uh, who used to run the llama farm here said, would you please come back and be the director? And I was elated. I was very glad to. I had been a book rep for John Wiley and Sons and Prentice Hall also, but I was very glad to get back in the fold, so to speak. Uh-huh. So here I am. out. In the, it, we really are in a very isolated area. It's gorgeous, way out in the country. And my friend said to me, oh, my gosh, I was 31 at the time. How will you ever find a husband? And I said, oh, I'm not worried about it. I will attract him. He will. I'll magnetize him here. And three weeks later, um, in the program, there he was. Boom! I just and it's one of those knowings, you know. And so, but I did not know, by the way, that Joe had all this psychic capability. And um, so he went through the program, and whatnot. Then he told me of of his remote viewing ability. And at that time, the Stargate program, which he was part of, was. It was highly classified, so I, I didn't even know about that. I didn't know any of these things until later. And so then he and Bob started working together, and Bob actually made special tapes for Joe to get even deeper into his state of consciousness needed to access the psychic information. And what happened was um, he taught Joe through the use of the HemiSync technology how to go from about an hour of taking time to cool down and get his mind quiet enough to receive the information to about five minutes. Huh. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. 
And that was now, well, let's see, I was 83, and Joe and I have been married since 84. So, um, yes, Tempest is fugitive. <laughs> Time is flying by really quickly. But, as, but again, it is one of those synchronicities if yeah. you look at that, you know. As far as the development of remote viewing as a government thing and mm -hmm. in the Monroe Institute, these happened separately. Oh, indeed, yes. And just for clarity, because it's really funny, there were all these rumors going around. We did have three programs here. We, we revised our Gateway Voyage program. Um, a little bit to meet the needs of this intelligence group who they were hoping they could teach their people, of course, to be able to remote view. How wonderful could it be if you could go just sit right here in your own chair and, or be at home in your own bed and send your mind out and see those documents that you want information from, you see. And so uh, we trained three groups of people here. We called the program the RAPT program acronym again for yeah. rapid acquisition personnel training and those are the only three programs we had now the guy who was Joe's mint the trainer at the government program the Stargate program's name was Skip Outwater actually we called him Fred back then it was Fred Outwater and he ended up coming and moving to this area and working with Bob and he was the head of our lab for a number of years and in fact, after um, Laurie died, I guess, Bob's daughter, who was the director, then um, Skip filled in. He changed uh, to his nickname, Skip, from Fred. And he filled in for a while until we got other directors after that. And so he was very much involved, but there was no um, direct, any kind of, um, what, what shall you say, involvement with the military whatsoever. It's just like around here, too, there used to be rumors that, of course, we were working with the military and mm -hmm. secret stuff. And it went along with the other rumors. Did you know we took brains from one skull and put them in another? <laughs> or, you know, that we stole souls and switched souls around? To, you know, just crazy stuff. So um, that's, that's the only military stuff that uh, ever went on well, now, with the Murnau Institute. <laughs> The film Men Who Stare at Goats, was that kind of based on the work that your husband did? Well, it was loosely based on the Stargate unit, I believe, and um, I, I think it was more for amusement than anything else. Sure. There, but I'm were, just... there were some experiments that were done with goats, um, and uh, Joe, my husband, um, doesn't ever say that, you know, they stared at a goat and the things, you know, that they were able to, the, the, what they were trying to get to there was remote influencing. And and his feeling, since he's very scientifically oriented as well, was you can't prove that such a thing ever happened. You know, so, yes. Uh, but yes, that with George Clooney, that was the big joke. Oh, was George Clooney playing your husband? Well, was he? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Let me put it to you this way: They didn't call and ask Joe's um, for for his um, yeah. opinion on anything. Yes. So, um, but I think yes, it was probably loosely based on the Stargate program. Interesting. Well, so that leads me into this idea of with a different temperament. Do you see uh, like Bob Monroe or your husband being these prophetic religious figures? 
no. I think both of them run away so fast from that. They, they both had, Bob was, as they say, always 10 years ahead of himself. He was like Jules Verne, you know, all these books that Jules Verne came up with. And then we, or for that matter, um, Star Trek's Gene Roddenberry. Look at all the stuff we have now that was kind of in his early stuff. From that sense, prophetic for, for Bob. Um, in terms of religious, no, in, in both cases, because they would both very much shy away from that. In terms of a guru to, type, absolutely not. Um, that would be unpalatable to yeah. Joe. It is unpalatable to him and certainly would have been to Bob, which is why I think what we do here works so well. It is not dependent on a belief system. There's only one thing we ask people to consider, and that is that they are more than their physical bodies. And that's where, and you first read a quote from Bob's work about fear. And what we, I'd say 99.9% of the people come here, what we provide is the experience of knowing that you are more than your physical body, not just believing it. And when you know that, a lot of fear drops away, you see. And so a good way to get to that knowing is you have to drop belief systems or cherished illusions, as Bob used to call them. And so that is another reason why he wouldn't want to introduce yet another belief system that, well, you have to do it my way, or this is the only way, um, this is the way, <laughs> you know, this is yet another choice. And uh, you find out for yourself. You go explore. All, all that we do here is we offer a means for people to reach these states uh, much quicker, uh, much more deeply than years and years of meditation has gotten many people. Huh. And that, that's the crux of this, this month's series of shows. And so another path is the idea of psychedelic drugs. But right. But it seems like there can if if the person's not ready for that, that 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 can be really traumatic and damaging for a long mm -hmm. period of time. Do you? I mean, what what is what? I'm I'm curious about that kind of. Is this for everyone? And is well, it here's safe? The, well, yes. What we do is safe. Here's the difference between us and drugs. You're not in control with drugs. And this was Bob was real big on this. In fact, he didn't even like the consumption of alcohol. And in fact, you know, my mother would have a glass of wine and his eyebrow would go up. <laughs> not that he was judgmental exactly. It wasn't from the, you know, thou shalt not. But it was just like, you need to be in control. He felt that focused consciousness answered all the questions of, of humanity, all the issues and so forth. If you could focus your consciousness, drugs take that away from you. So that's why this is so distinct and different from. Now, I also know a number of people. We had a gentleman, um, uh, Michael Langevin, who was providing our PR services for us this past year, and he had studied with a number of shamans. He gave a wonderful speech on this at the um, uh, Academy for Spiritual, what was it, Academy for Spirituality and Consciousness Studies. He and I both gave talks, and he gave a talk on shamanism and um, and TMI. And he talked on the one hand about using ayahuasca and other such things to elicit these expanded states of consciousness versus here, 
at uh, the Institute where we help you do it through the use of sound, and at all times you are the one in control. With drugs, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You go out there, it can be very frightening. It can be, um, or um, never mind the physiological effects that one might have from ingesting a lot of drugs. Mm-hmm. Again, it works well for some people, but it's not what we do here. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and we have not found the use of audio technology to be deleterious in any way. You know, the hemisync, again, you are the one in control. How deeply do you want to go? How far out do you want to go? And so each of our programs here takes you to these various different states. And um, by the way, for those who are interested in remote viewing, Joe does teach a remote viewing course here. Uh, for people who are interested in accessing their guides, we have a guidelines program. And um, Bill Buhlman, I don't know if you're familiar with Bill. He's become quite the expert in out-of-bodies. He does his out-of-body exploration intensive here. And then Tom Campbell, of course, Tom's just coming twice this year. I think it's kind of an old home, old, uh, we're bringing him back after many years of, of his not being associated with TMI, and he's coming back to, to do his uh, My Big Toe pro, uh, program. So and we have a near-death experience program taught by Scott Taylor and designed by him, a medical intuition with Dr. Larry Burke and medical intuitive Winter Robinson. So we're opening up into many different areas. Well, so you mentioned how far you want to go. In Far Journeys, it seemed like Bob really explored about as far as you can go. Um, what is? I mean, are are you guys at the institute hopeful for humanity? Every now and again, we get into these kind of dark moments. Mm-hmm. Yes, but we do, don't we? <laughs> he pl- in Far Journeys, he plays with the purpose of reality, or what is it, TSI? <laughs> Mm-hmm. You, our our place here, you know. What what do you guys what do you guys say to people about uh, our you know current moment? Well, again, it's up to each of us in terms of is the old thing is it's not what happens, it's what you do with it, right? Yeah. And so, what is your intention? We do believe intention is very powerful, and. where you place your focus. We're back to that word again. What is it you're focusing on? What is it about, what can we do to help humanity become more aware, to wake up, to be... In fact, that that is the the vision statement of the Institute, is the global awakening of humanity. Do we have hope? Of course. Otherwise, we would just fold up, you know, close the doors and sit down and do nothing. But yes, of course. And so it is my hope as I look ahead, and not just mine, our board, the people around us, the staff, everyone, eventually I can see a TMI Europe, a TMI Asia, a TMI um, Australia, and so forth. And already now we actually have people in various countries giving our programs. I'm talking about an actual center where the institute's housed in each of these, on each continent for that matter, and where people could come and learn how to access these different states for themselves um, and thus better their lives. 
You know, Bob often talked about one of these days we'll be able to take a handful of rice and exist on it all the whole month. That's the way he would put it. Um, again, how you focus your intention, how you focus your consciousness is what you what you get. And letting go of your old beliefs. That's the hardest part. That's where all the fear comes from. Hmm. Ooh, if I do this, then, then that makes me a bad person. Or if I do that, um, then that, that will make me a good person or whatever. And as you know from reading his books, um, oh, you just read The Far Journey. Well, the first book and the last book, Ultimate Journey, are also quite interesting. But he had to let go of a lot of beliefs. And it's rather shattering to some. Uh, Again, he called them cherished illusions. They make us feel good. If I don't play cards and don't dance and don't cuss, then I know I'm a good person. I know I'm going to go to heaven. That works for some people. You see? But but what happens if inadvertently they end up playing cards or in a video game? <gasps> Does that mean they're damned? Hmm. And so looking at, well, what are other possibilities here? So it's that kind of thing. What else might we look at? How else might we open up to the possibilities? And and he kind of in the first book doesn't he wrestle with that? It it seems like he was sure did <laughs> going crazy. Yeah, now he's going crazy. And remember, he was married to a Catholic woman as well, although he wasn't brought up in a religious um, environment. But I think if you, he he talks about getting in these states and saying, "Please God, help me. What do I do?" You know, this kind of thing, and resorting to prayer, and then nothing happened for him. Now, again, this was his experience. doesn't mean it would be like that for, for everybody. certainly is not. And prayer works for many, many, many people. Well, prayer is focused intention. Exactly. But his, what he was doing at the time was um, oh, he was screaming out for the need of it. He was um, anxious beyond belief. What is the word? Desperate, I guess. And is that prayer? Maybe. Hmm. I don't know. But in any event, yeah, so, um, and it was interesting, too, as as Bob lay dying, and his daughter, Maria, actually, he had adopted her when she was quite young, so basically, as far as, you know, he was very much her dad, and then my siblings and I were standing around his, his deathbed, watching him, and it was kind of cute, because remember, he was always explorer, he was always very curious. So he took this one last breath and exhaled, and that was it. We said, okay, we better go let the nurse know he's gone now. And it had been, you know, at least a minute or two. Well, then he took this other great big deep breath, and this happened for a while. Now, this was not the same thing as chain stoking, if you're familiar with that kind of um, the type of breathing that a lot of people in the death process go sure. through. Yeah. This was literally, I mean, honestly, it got to be funny and we were chuckling. He's out there experimenting. Gets back in his body, takes a deep breath, and then he's out and about and doing and doing. This is what we had projected onto this whole experience. So that happened about four times over a space of, I'm going to say 10 minutes. I mean, really, these were long, long, long periods in between his breaths. Not the typical. Um, and I have been with other dying people. So 
uh, we thought to the end, here he was out there exploring, um, getting his, his, what do you call it, the beachhead set up, you know, before he left us. You know, it was on March 17th of 95. Huh. Mm-hmm. Well, that, <laughs> that was 42 Minutes. Thank you for sharing it with us. Well, thank you very much for having me, Doug. It was, it was fun to talk with you. Sure was. You've been listening to Nancy McGonigal on Syncbook Radio, a production of thesyncbook.com. Information about the Monroe Institute can be found at monroeinstitute.org. For more information about the Syncbook, our guests, check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a SyncBook Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much, and change the pattern, because the biggest illusion is that mankind has limitations. Some people want me to be heads or tails. I say no way, try again another day I should be happy, not tipping the scales I just won't play, letting my life get away I'm no fool, no, I'm not a follower I don't say things as they come, if they bring me down You know you like your body drives you insane You know you like your body drives you insane